large, large contingent of guests to get to on this uh, primary day. No better to lead off than this uh, gentleman. His name is Michael Weinstock. He's been on several times with us. He is running in the uh, 3rd Congressional District on the Democratic side of things. Of course, you know about the incumbent, Tom Swazi, leading the pack. Mr. Weinstock has put up a battle from day one. Met him a long time ago. Very impressed. We welcome him. Sir, how are you? Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. It is, uh, it is morning in America. It is morning in New York, Jay Oliver. Uh, you sound like you are energized. Yeah, like yeah. Like I am today. Nothing like primary data, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as you and I discussed a couple months back, it wasn't all that long ago that I was a high school student and my dad wasn't around and, and my mom... My mom had problems with alcohol, and I was homeless for a couple months. And within 10 years, I went from being homeless to becoming a firefighter and an EMT, graduating college and law school, and becoming a New York City prosecutor. And now I'm, I'm running for Congress, and I'm giving a very, very wealthy and powerful guy a run for his money. And that's just a phenomenal moment and a great example of, of New York at its best. You know, It's a big uh, day. It is a big day, and uh, you know you have uh, you have fought vehemently uh, throughout. I remember when we first met you. You told us the great story: nine eleven prosecutor. If you're elected, you'll become the first openly gay congressman uh, in this country, uh, and it's really an incredible story, Mike. Um, how did it all start? You know the the just the ingenuity of it all that you have gone through. Uh, the intestinal fortitude, whatever other monikers to put in front of you. Uh, you have been driven from the get-go. Uh, you mentioned being uh, you being in a situation very young. You fought your way out. You climbed that proverbial ladder, no pun intended, but in essence, you have fought very hard here from day one. Yeah. Um, you know, people ask me sometimes now while I'm campaigning, they, they learn of my personal story and they ask me how I, do, how I did it. And I, I, I was lucky, so lucky because of two reasons. I, went to, I lived in a community with a phenomenal public school system, and I was, uh, I was lucky enough to become a, a, a volunteer firefighter, an EMT, when I, was, when I was 18, when I was still in high school. And when the men and women of the fire department learned that I was living on my own and that uh, my dad wasn't around and my mom had problems, they took me in, and they made sure I always had a place to stay, and they pushed me very hard to go to college, and, uh, and they encouraged me to go to law school. And I'm so lucky I did it, not only because it, it helped me land on my feet, but being a, a firefighter and an EMT taught me so many of the skills that, uh, that are helping me today while I'm, while I'm running for office. So many. So, uh, whether it's things I learned on the ambulance while treating patients or learning how to, how to develop a thick skin so uh, the insults more or less, just slide off my back. So I, I'm you know, blessed. They, you know, they say when you run for office, you know, you, you kind of put it in another gear because, you know, you sense the passion, especially from the constituencies and everything else. Uh, you're fighting for causes and whatnot. Uh, what, what is the uh, – give me, give me like the top two or three things that kind of irked you from the get-go, wanting to throw your hat in the ring – uh, you're going up against, you know, a, a pretty big incumbent here. Uh, it's not an easy task. But what have you seen and heard and learned uh, from the constituency itself? And give me your own passion as far as, you know, what you hope to accomplish on this day. 
when I when I was a prosecutor, I had a phenomenal boss in Brooklyn, a woman uh, who had a, a foul mouth and a big heart. And she used to say, there is no somebody. When you realize something needs to be fixed, you get up off your, your butt and you fix it. And uh, and last year, my congressman, Mr. Swazi, was involved in, in yet another scandal. And I said, somebody needs to run against this guy. Somebody who who loves New York as much as I do and, and takes pride in New York needs to run against this guy because we we should have a representative who's as special as New Yorkers are. And uh, and I waited, and, and no one came around, and I said, enough, uh, enough already. Um, you, you need to look no further than Mr. Swazi's two offices to, to see where his priorities are. He has two offices, one far out on Long Island in, in Huntington and one in Queens. The one in Huntington is spectacular. It, it used to be a colonial estate during the colonial revolution, and it's been refurbished and modernized into modern office space, and it is beautiful from top to bottom. And then you have the Queen's office. It's, it's on Northern Boulevard across from McDonald's. It's in a crumbly old building with a, uh, with a, a, a real estate office downstairs. And it, it's, not even, it's not even accessible to the disabled. And it's closed twice a week. And listen, I understand Mr. Mr. Swazi used to be the Nassau County Executive, but you should treat everybody the same. You should treat all voters the same, whether or not they, they, they live in wealthy zip codes or not so wealthy zip codes. And to have a Queen's office that's closed twice a week and not even have it accessible to disabled, what, what sort of message does that send? He should, be, he should be at the forefront of assisting people for the disabled. And instead, he has to meet handicapped people in their cars because they can't make it up the steps. And I said, enough, enough. At, at, the, at the very least, that's something I'll change on day one. Why do you think there was such a lack of uh, of understanding? Let's put it that way. As far as not uh, not having it accessible, as far as disabled individuals, I think it's a lack of empathy. When you grow up privileged, when you grow up in a in a family where you've been so fortunate, you never stop and ask yourself, what what about others? What about people who are struggling? What about people who are in wheelchairs or struggling financially? And in in a funny roundabout way, I'm blessed that things were so rocky during my teenage years because I've, I've, I still have that groundedness. I'm, I'm still very, very scared that one day I'm going to be homeless again. And I know intellectually that's unlikely, but, it, but it's still a, a, a big part of who I am. And Mr. Swazi was much more privileged. He grew up in a very wealthy, prominent family. His dad was um, a, an appellate court judge. His uncle was also a, a very, very established guy in politics. And he often carries himself with the sense of entitlement that you might expect from someone who grew up wealthy and privileged. Mike Weinstock uh, with us. Uh, yes, uh, we are starting early today. It is primary day. We're going to do a whole situation around this program, most of it uh, dedicated to the elections and uh, what is uh, happening in and around. Please go out and vote. Polls are open until till 9 this evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So, Mike, uh, as, as we kind of view what's happening in our crazy world right now over the last 115 days or so, give or take. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, there's been plenty of assessment uh, from so many here. Uh, where, what do you see here? What, what have you seen since around mid-March? Uh, it seems like, you know, we are such a divided country in every aspect of what we have encountered here. Uh, over the last 115. Give me, give me the Weinstock assessment of it all over the last three and a half months. I am so proud of New Yorkers for turning on a dime. 
we are so independent, we're strong-willed, uh, we're sometimes rough around the edges. And I remember when, when, you know, when things first went to custard and the, uh, the virus rates were so, so high, the governor was saying, we need to do this, we need to close that, we need to you know, shelter in place. And, uh, and many people griped, but we did it, and we did it quickly. And right now, thank God, you know, the rates of transmission in New York are so much lower than places in, in like Florida and Vegas, because just like after 9-11, when, when strangers were helping strangers in exceptional ways, New Yorkers recognized what needs to be done, and we did it. People often, a guy in the White House likes to say that he saw Muslims cheering on uh, September 11th, and I don't think that's true, but nonetheless, I'll tell you what I saw on September 11th when I was downtown. I saw guys with their push carts, uh, who were probably Muslim, they were, they were, um, and they stood by their push carts for hours, and they gave away all of their iced teas, and they gave away all of their bottles of water, and they stood in place when everyone else was running away, when the smoke was so thick and the, the, the smell in the air was so nasty, and everyone was scared, these guys stayed. And I think of those guys and all the other New Yorkers who showed such grace that day, and in essence, we're doing the same thing now, and that's a very special thing, and it speaks to the integrity of the people in New York. Well, nobody does it better than New Yorkers, uh, without question. And, and, you know, we saw the way life looked uh, after 9-11. We're going to have the same thing here. It's, uh, without question, post-pandemic world. Uh, what kind of adjustments do you see as far as everyone involved? And, and New Yorkers will comply, will get along, and hopefully the rest of the country will follow. What do you see here, post-pandemic world? Well, I hope that we learn a couple lessons from what went right and what went wrong after 9-11, and, and mostly taking care of our frontline workers. After 9-11, I was a mess for a long time. I really struggled with, with PTSD and depression, and it took a long time and a lot of counseling before I was able to get back to myself. The fire department required and paid for six sessions with a counselor, and only six sessions, and that was, that was nothing. I, need, I needed... I needed 600 sessions before I was able to, to sleep at night and, you know, and keep weight on and, and be healthy and normal again. If I'm a member of Congress, I intend to sponsor legislation making sure that our frontline workers don't have to go in their pocket to get the counseling they need. I had to spend upwards of $35,000 over the course of seven or eight years to get back to who I was, and, and I didn't receive any, any compensation for that, and, and it crushed me. I'm, I'm still paying off my school loans. But I, I had to pay for those expenses as well. So if I'm a member of Congress, I'll sponsor legislation to make sure none of our firefighters or paramedics or nurses go into deep debt uh, because they did the right thing and they need mental health uh, help as a result of it. Mike Weinstock with us. Uh, he's running the third Democratic uh, Party line, ladies and gentlemen, third congressional. All right, Mike, how does the Weinstock voice make a difference? You know, we see so much divide here. It is, it's sickening, really. You know, you, you, you look at what's happening, Capitol Hill. It's a trickle-down effect, I always say. Albany, locals, you know, the local situations here on Long Island. Uh, there is such divide. Uh, it, it just makes you wonder as far as, you know, who we're electing here and why. Can they get anything done, he or she? You know, you wonder. You really do. So, so how does your voice heal? How does your voice uh, close that division. Uh, how do we get back to where it was decades ago when, when we elected officials for the right reasons and they accomplished what we elected them to do? We don't have that anymore. 
Uh, there is nothing like it right now. How do you mend things? How does the wine stock voice change at all? That's a great question. We, we need to elect officials who don't talk down to New Yorkers and who, who tell everyone the same thing. They, they don't try to make friends with everyone and find middle ground everywhere and tell different groups different things. I'm going to, to, to do what, what former Mayor Koch used to do, which is I'll, I'll find a position and I'll be candid about it and I'll explain wh- where I come from and I won't waver because I get a little bit of heat. As, as, Gov- excuse me, as Mayor Koch used to say, if you agree with me on 10 out of 10 positions, you should vote for me. If you agree with me on, on 12 out of 12, you should find your, yourself a good therapist. But that's what I'll do. I, I won't talk down to people. I won't try to please everyone. I'll try to do the right thing by New York and, and be candid about it. And New Yorkers are a smart bunch, and we're a savvy bunch, and we get that. And that's part of what gripes me about today's elected leaders. They talk down to people, and they're not straight about their positions. You know, it seems like, uh, you know, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll kind of go about things in ways that you did not expect them to. You know, we saw what happened in this country as far as in December, an impeachment trial and everything else underway. Uh, you know, it seemed that one could kind of make a viewpoint of being one-sided. Where is everything else? What is, what, when, when are we going to get to other things? A lot of people were wondering. There was a lot of questions as far as what this country went through over those two and a half months or so. And then, of course, the bottom fell out regarding COVID. Uh, but in essence, you can understand why there's such trepidation when one goes to the polls. They don't know what uh, to expect from he or she. You're 100% right. When I was a kid, I had such admiration for Governor Mario Cuomo. The way, the way normal kids looked up to, to Michael Jordan, I looked up to Governor Cuomo. He made me proud to be a New Yorker, and I remember him speaking out strongly on the death penalty. He said, I, I know I'm getting clobbered on, you know, in the polls on this. I know it's, it's pulling me down. But I'm a, I'm a Catholic, and being a Catholic is important to who I am. It's part of my soul, and I'm not bending on this issue. And, and he never did. And I look at people like Mr. Swazi. A couple years back, Mr. Swazi was explaining why he was firmly opposed to gay marriage. And he, he, he called out his inner Mario Cuomo, and he said, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with gay people. I have nothing against gay people, but I'm Catholic, and in my core, I can't move on this issue. It's so powerfully important. And I thought, okay, I, I disagree with Swazi. I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I, I embrace gay marriage, but I respect the fact that he's talking about his Catholic faith and what's important to him, and he won't change, and I get that. And then, of course, the poll numbers changed, and Mr. Swazi changed. And he wrote a big essay for the New York Times saying that he evolved. And he's evolved a couple different times when the poll numbers changed, whether it was his opposition to impeachment, which then evolved, or his opposition to the Green New Deal, which evolved. If I'm elected, I'll do the right thing, and, I, and my positions won't evolve and change because the poll numbers change. I'll do what I think is right for New Yorkers, and I'll be direct and straight about making those decisions and following through. And you know, Mike, sometimes change is good. I mean, look what uh, yeah. look what this look what the SCOTUS decision as far as the LGBT community in the workplace. I mean, if if that didn't send a message as far as change, I don't know what would. And especially, we, you know, as far as some of the uh, some of the judges on board there, from conservative to liberalism and everything else. But you like the fact that change is kind of in place, and we're thinking rationally here. Yeah, it's, it, it's, that's just another example of, of a, a very special, special day for New York. 
when uh, when I was a teenager growing up on Long Island and I was coming to grips with being gay, Barney Frank was the only he was the only out elected official. And he was a bit of a uh, of a rabble rouser and a troublemaker, and not exactly a role model <laughs> that I wanted to follow. And I thought, if it turns out I'm gay, there's no way I could ever follow my dream and run for office. But we've we've come a long way for civil rights for gay people and transgender folks and lots of other folks. And as a result, I'm running for Congress right now, and it's almost a, a backseat issue. If if I'm elected, I'll be the first openly gay person to represent New York City or Long Island in Congress. I'll be the only, the only openly gay man holding any position on Long Island. And in a, in a funny and special way, it's a credit, as you say, about how far we've come and how far our society has evolved, that it's not getting that much press. Most of the articles about my campaign talk about that I'll be the first 9-11 firefighter elected to Congress. The fact that I'm openly gay hasn't been getting much media attention, and I'm okay with that because that's just another example of, of how far we've come and what a special place New York is. And I've known you now for a couple of months, impressed by you from the get-go. Uh, like I said at the start of our conversation, your personal fortitude, perseverance in general, uh, I am sure you have learned a little bit more about yourself, uh, even with this congressional run here. Yes, and, and again, it, it comes back to how lucky I am to have been a firefighter. <laughs> one, of, one of the unique things about the fire department, those guys and women, they bust your shoes like the day is long. Whatever your sensitivity might be, if you're short, if you're chubby, if you're insecure about your looks, they find those sensitivities and they, they pound them. And you need to learn to, to be quick on your feet, to take it, and also throw back a little bit. And if, that, if that's not a good training ground for politics, I don't know what it is because I've been, I've been attacked on everything that I'm sensitive about, from my sexuality to, to my religion, to everything. Whatever, whatever it could have been that I'm sensitive about, my opponents have found it and, you know, and, and clobbered me. And my response is, okay, next. Uh, you, you guys, you're not as funny as the firefighters. You're not as quick-witted as the firefighters. And you can't compare. And, and it's true. Michael, I'll ask you this in summation. Um, as we embark, and it's a huge day for you, no matter what happens, uh, do you get a sense as far as your inner self that this is something that you love and you're not going to go away because the, the fight is on, the causes are going to still be out there, and, and there will be plenty of issues. Issues just don't go away because elections come and go. They're still out there and there will be new ones. What about Michael Weinstock in the future? Is this something that you have kind of latched onto as well as the base? You know, your constituency and everything else maybe would love to see you Take another run of it, no matter what happens today. What about the well, aspect of the future holds for Mike Weinstein? I'm hoping the wins. <laughs> I'm hoping and praying, and the numbers are looking good. But let's just say, hypothetically, I come in second. It's still a, an amazing, amazing day. And if, if I come in second, sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm either going to win, and I'll be the next member of Congress, and that's extraordinary, or I come in second. And, uh, and I've run a, a wonderfully positive, issue-oriented campaign, and I've, I've shown everybody I've got the goods, and I'm ready to keep on, keep on fighting and keep on doing it. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's all win today forward. Guys, won a lot of hats and won them well. Mike, we wish you the, the best. We'll follow your trek throughout. 
as far as what occurs the next couple of weeks with the mail-ins and everything else counted. And uh, we wish you really the best of luck today. Thank you very much, Oliver, for everything.